From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today I'm talking with Matt Wynn, Executive Director of the Flatwater Free Press. When people talk about the media, I'm doing air quotes now, what does that mean? What does even that mean? Uh, some people, when they say that, they mean CNN. Some people, when they say, they say that, they mean Fox News. Some people mean neither of those things. Even what exactly that means changes based on who you're talking to. But it can be done better. News, media, journalism, it can be done in a way that is that makes people f- part of their community, that defines their community, that illuminates where they are, who's around them, why they're here, those sorts of things. And I think that's exciting. We discuss the state of journalism and how Wynn has seen it shift over the course of his career at USA Today, The World Herald, and now at the Flatwater Free Press. Stay tuned for the conversation after this break. We have a lot of hours of content here on Riverside Chats now. Our backlog has over 100 episodes. We're expanding into live events, and we have an exciting future for the show that we hope to be able to get to you. To make the show as good as it can be and to continue to give you the kinds of conversations that you listen for, the reason why you subscribed in the first place, to hear coverage of arts, ideas, politics, whatever it is that brings you here every time, please consider becoming a supporter of the show by making a sustaining monthly donation of $1, $5, whatever you can afford, and really whatever you think the show is worth, which may be a zero, in which case, ouch. But okay, if you are interested in becoming a supporter, please look in the podcast notes. There should be a link in there that you can find that gives you all the information you need. Otherwise, thank you for considering supporting the show, and more more importantly, thank you for listening. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. I grew up around a lot of newspapers. People would read the paper at meals, do the crossword at night. I'd usually check the latest reviews and movie show times. The news seemed like this permanent, stable institution... You know, there was running water, there was electricity, and there would be the paper. I relied on that. That was a long time ago now. So today, in 2023, journalism exists in this kind of precarious space, often driven by cliques and corporate ownership and punditry, which, look, I'm not saying those are brand new, but the existence of news at all has gotten really murky and polarized, and even what constitutes news can become a source of conflict. So today, my guest is Matt Wynn, who previously worked at the Omaha World Herald and USA Today, and in 2021, he co-founded the Flatwater Free Press. He serves as its executive director, and today, we parse through the state of journalism in general and here in Nebraska, as well as what he sees for reforms and potentially the future of the news. Here is our conversation. So I usually try to start the show with some kind of smart question, but also... I don't know. For this for this one, I thought maybe we should start with a series of a couple of dumb questions <laughs> because we might get to the root of some issues that will come up over the course of the hour. So to start with a dumb question, what, I want you to ask answer for me. What exactly is journalism? Like, is oh this my God, is this a- show journalism? <laughs> yeah, I think so. OK, I think it's you know, I think it's anything that's trying to get at something true. Uh, I haven't thought about this too much, so don't poke holes in that immediately. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's just something that's that's interesting, that is recording something, documenting something, making a record of something, um, you know, and now I'm immediately thinking, is that what we do at Flatwater? Well, we try to get fans beyond that. So I don't know. It's a very big, hairy question. Uh, and I was not prepared to answer that. So I'm sorry. It's all going to be downhill from here, right? Well, I, my other questions kind of they, they <laughs> expand a little bit. So maybe we can work through a couple definitions sure. as we get started here. So uh my related question number one is, what is news? Is news journalism always? Is there a difference? 
Yeah, sure. I, I think news, we were all kind of familiar with who, what, when, where, why, anything that is happening. Um, I don't quite remember them, but I remember there's, I mean, I think everybody has probably heard this list of news elements, elements of news. Uh, something that happens nearby, for example, is going to be more impactful, meaningful, newsworthy news than the same thing happening five states away. So that's part of it, distance. Um, who's doing it? If it's the mayor doing it, that is inherently more important than me doing it, right? Um, there's there's 11 or so of those things, and they all kind of interplay in different ways. Um, then some of them are just, is it important? How much? Who is this going to affect? How much of an effect is it going to have? Those sorts of things. A lot of them are very, you know, it's weird. It's like learning anything, right? You go from studying these things and putting them into practice and really you have to work on building those muscles to the point where they just kind of come second nature. And I can't even really tell you necessarily. I know the news I'm proud of, right? But I couldn't necessarily point to which news elements are the reason why that's news. It just it just is. Well, you started with this idea of truth, that journalism oh, no. <laughs> seeks truth, right? So there's there's some element of illuminating truth through news. That That's kind of a mission, right? Yeah. Or you'd, yeah. Hope, you'd hope. Well, that should be it. The whole – God, remember this idea of truthiness and all that stuff, right? There is – there are so many ways to approach what that even means, who that means it to, where there's disagreement. I think this stuff is layered and way more. I know you said you were starting with the basic questions, but God, these are the big questions. <laughs> these are the hard questions. Okay. What is this stuff? Why does it matter? What's the difference? I often find myself defaulting to these silly little fortune cookie cliches, right? Um, do stuff that matters. I know what I think that means, but other people might have a totally different response and that's okay. A lot can fit under these umbrellas. They encompass, they cover a lot of ground. I think that a lot of what I see being called news now is what I would probably call punditry. Mm. So I think you're right. Is punditry news? Uh, I am regretting that we are on public radio and can't say four letter words. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think it it's unimportant. It's not the thing. It's not moving the needle for me. And there's plenty of it. I think that's another, you know, what is news kind of goes hand in hand with what is needed to me. What is there? What is there enough of? What is there a surplus of? And what is there a lack of? Um, those are follow-up questions that I think can help you kind of, it's kind of a virtuous circle, right? Answering one of those will help you hone the answer to the next. And it, it all builds upon each other to come to something Hopefully that's holistic and defined. Well, the, the other hope, though, is that what's popular also <laughs> is overlapping, right, with some of these these virtuous elements that you're talking about. Like punditry is what a lot of cable news in particular yeah. looks like because people watch it. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Uh, I don't – I can – do we have an hour to just talk smack on TV news? Because sure. I can do that. We got that's time. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, and it's not – there is a difference between – your local TV station and what you turn on to CNN or Fox News, right? What those guys do is something else entirely. Uh, one of my favorite, this is taking your question and twisting it for my own purposes, but one of my favorite things is uh, local news, not Omaha local news, but in general, local news will take a horrific crime that occurred somewhere in the United States of America and do a teaser for that to, to watch tonight to learn about this woman who was murdering this horrific well it happened in Tennessee they don't tell you that part because that's not how they get you interested that's not how they get you there um, it, it's God the perversion I guess of what news is has happened so quickly over the course of our lifetimes right. um, 
that it's really kind of daunting to try and fix this stuff. But that is part of your part of your mission is to fix this stuff yeah. by offering an alternative. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. It's exactly what I want to do because there is so much. I think when people talk about the media, I'm doing air quotes now, uh, and all that sort of stuff. What does that mean? What does even that mean? Uh, some people, when they say that, they mean CNN. Some people, when they say they say that, they mean Fox News. Some people mean neither of those things. Uh, some people, it, it even what exactly that means changes based on who you're talking to. Um, but it can be done better. I just think there, it, it, news, media, journalism, it can be done in a way that is that makes people f- part of their community, that defines their community, that illuminates where they are, who's around them, why they're here, those sorts of things. And I think that's exciting. I think uh, a, a question that I come to a lot on this show is the way entertainment manifests in our, hmm. our inherent seemingly addiction to entertainment. And so I wonder if, if what we can do with the news, because what you're trying to do is make illumination um, through news, through truth, something that people care about, something that people use as a community builder. But you have to sort of compete with it's more fun sometimes to talk, <laughs> to look at the, the crazy screaming guy and figure out what's he mad about tonight, yeah. right? And so it's a weird kind of competition because I think even the people who watch the screaming guy would probably agree in the abstract, this this one that's trying to illuminate truth would be better, more nourishing, but I'm going to go with the more fast food type news mm-hmm. just because that's easier to watch when I get home and I'm tired, right? Or so I don't know what exactly the competition is. I guess maybe the, that can be the sort of the question. Why is there a competition between entertainment news versus something that is trying to be actually useful and informative? Well, uh, I don't, I think that even is too simple in all Honesty. I made it to a dumb question. Fine. All right. Good. (laughs) News is competing against everything. It's fighting for your attention. uh, You're making a choice to watch, you know, decent watch, read, ingest, decent local news versus decent statewide or regional news versus playing a game or watching, you know, the the high TV that we're we find ourselves in. That's all a decision of how you're going to invest your time. And if you're putting it in news, period, even if you're watching the yelling guys on one of these, you know, major TV stations, um, that is probably more beneficial to you than, or maybe not, maybe not. (laughs) That is at least doing something that you can argue to yourself is civically minded at least. And I think a lot of people feel good about that. And that's why they do that. I do think, and this is a half formed thought, but there is something about, News became entertainment. That's part of what I'm talking about when I mentioned that this has changed so drastically over our lifetimes. News became entertainment. It used to be broccoli. It used to be broccoli. You did it because it was good for you. You wake up, you read the news, so you're informed as you go about your day. It was just something you did because you're an American. Uh, now, some people ignore it altogether and take pride in ignoring it altogether because it just it's not good for their mental health or something like that certainly we can do both, right? Certainly we can make it not harmful to you, enjoyable and beneficial all at once. I think it's about civic good. Uh, It's about community building. There's all these things that it can do that we've lost track of because we started chasing the entertainment versus the civic value, if that makes sense. Well, and is that because the news used to be understood that it was not going to be like a big uh, moneymaker and at some point someone decided we'd like to make a profit or why did that shift happen? I don't know. I can, I mean- Historically and, um, you know, big picture, I can't really answer that. But in my own experience, even just during my short career, 20 years or so, 
we have gone from we're going to put something important on the front page of the newspaper because we're all journalists and we just kind of understand what important means to, oh, we have a real-time feedback loop with our audience. We know that 10,000 people have clicked this story, and so therefore we know it's good journalism. That's not actually true. We've gotten completely out of balance. I forgot the question because I was too busy rambling. Well, just like, you know, how did how did the, the priorities shift so much from we all agree that the broccoli is good for us and we're going to eat it to we don't really care or I'm probably not eating <laughs> broccoli really is the question. I think there's a, a lot of it. There's not one answer. There's many answers. Yeah. Um, clicks are money in a lot of newsrooms. And so it pays. It makes money to do journalism that drives clicks versus is meaningful and good for you. And this, is, by the way, is also too reductive. Ideally, you can do both those things. One thing that we at Flatwater have done really well, I think, is we can do both those things. We can make something that is interesting and valuable. One does not have to be at the expense of the other. How would you learn how to make that balance? I don't know. Is That's it, a good question. Is this like an intuitive thing for you? I mean, I think I put people... I don't think that I'm particularly good at it. I'm a giant nerd. I go down nerdy paths and do nerdy things. I'm, that's just who I am, right? But I get people around me that can pull me back from the brink and explain it. And we can talk about reaching the biggest, distilling a story down to what's most interesting. And I'm not saying we get it right all the time. We absolutely, certainly, without a doubt, do not. But we try. But I also think part of it is we all talk about how much time we spend on our phone or how much time we spend ingesting news and things like that. And our, our attention, this kind of professional ADHD that we all deal with news has been taught to be part of that. Reporters now are doing five, six stories a day where maybe in the past they were doing one. And there's lots of reasons for that. But part of that is because there's more things that were being told our news. We were getting 20 press releases a day. We're having a press conference that somebody is holding. There's a Twitter fight that people are talking about. There's all this stuff going on. The vast majority of it doesn't matter. Right. That is the dark, dirty secret of news. The vast majority of this crap that we are covering breathlessly does not matter. And I think because of the business model and things like that, we've been we've taught ourselves that it matters, but we can unlearn that too. I think that's just as valuable. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Matt Wynn, executive director of the Flatwater Free Press. What do you think about the state of contemporary journalism? Where do you get your news? Why? Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play in one of our upcoming shows. So there's a lot of sort of societal shifts that work into what the Flatwater Free Press is all about. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just to make a good site, you know? Yeah. Uh, we have some really big, high-minded things that we're trying to do here, right? Our two um, story kinds are investigative journalism, which is my background. That is where my heart lies. I think that stuff is important, done right, and we've lost it by and large. There's still a lot of it. Omaha's very lucky. Lincoln's very lucky. There's a couple places around the state that, that still have some really good journalism. Um, but by and large, it's just not what it was. We don't have anyone who is asking hard questions, uncomfortable questions. We're so busy dealing with the what an important person is telling us matters. Mayor issues a press release, for example. Governor issues a press release. Governor calls a press conference. Business person issues a press release about a new product that we are not spending enough time saying, yeah, I don't actually care about that. <laughs> that doesn't matter. It. I don't have to jump just because you said to. Um, we can focus on what actually matters. And I think that gets us to a community good. We can focus on what matters for all of us, what affects all of us, those sorts of things. 
rather than what we're being told to do. Well, that also in that specific instance, uh, asking hard questions to people in power is just part of what a healthy democracy requires, right? Because if, if you just totally take power at its word, you know, you might be manipulated, you might be lied to, you might be tricked, you might be sold something that that is reductive, that's oversimplified, right? So, I mean, part of what the point of having journalism in local journalism is is to do that, right? To be that uh, that that middle step between power and the populace. Oh my God, exactly. I think. I think another, you know, I said there's lots of reasons that things happen to news over the years, but one of them is that politicians got really good at leading us by the by the nose, right? It doesn't have to be that way, and it shouldn't be that way. It should be about asking hard questions. What do they not want you to find? What are they not telling you? How are things actually working versus talking points and political messaging? Um, another, you know, terrible thing is the politicization of every single thing in the entire world not everything is a partisan aspect it's not by and large politics does not matter and yet we are being told every single day about the partisanship of 95 percent of things we do we have businesses that we that we can or can't visit because there's partisanship involved that's nonsense we are community first we are nebraska we are omaha we are lincoln we are whoever um and that's an identity we can really get behind these d's and r's and stuff my god (laughs) Well, so with your relationship with media, with news, I imagine when you were a kid and you first were sort of like whoever first drew your attention either to watch, to listen, to read, uh, you you probably envisioned a very different media landscape uh, with <laughs> you were to enter that uh, enter that as a career, right? So, like, let's go all the way back. What was the first news that drew your attention that oh, started to you know influence you? I have no idea. I used when I was a kid, my parents got the Omaha World Herald delivered to our house, and I would read the comics. And I would read, oh, God, Dear Abby, right? And the the woman who always knew how to f- clean everything, Heloise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't really read anything else. That was not – it's not like I was a news junkie as a kid. I, I was absolutely not. When I got into journalism, it was high school journalism. It's the way a lot of folks in my shoes get started. And I, for reasons I can't really dissect, got really into just the best journalists in this region, folks from the Kansas City Star, you know, some folks from the World Herald. Um, Chicago Tribune, nationally relevant people were the ones where I was like, my God, they're having an impact. They're doing, they're changing agents, like federal agencies were changing as a result of the work of a guy in Kansas City. Are you kidding me? That's a thing you can do with journalism. So it was the impact from the very beginning and it wasn't just like, this is a really good sentence. <laughs> I hate writing. I, <laughs> I hate writing. Oh my God. Have you ever tried to write? It's the oh, worst. Yeah. yeah. Oh. It's don't tough, recommend but, it, but it's it's rewarding if you can pull it off. I wouldn't know. I'm a terrible writer too, so um, that's certainly not part of my. I'm much more a reporter. I like to ask questions, get facts, get ideas, get stories, find out where the bodies are buried, all that sort of stuff. Um, ask any editor I've ever had. My writing is not my strength. That's not what I do well, and they're different skills. That's something that I think. I, I mean, I spent a long time talking about what's wrong with journalism. That is something that has gotten better. Uh, you know, you for you asked if what you're doing is journalism. I don't know, but you're able to distribute it on the radio. You're able to distribute it as a podcast. You're able to write it up and have people read it online. The skills of reporting and journalism are more. Um, every, they, they, they could go anywhere. They go any number of ways. It's not as disposable as it once was. When you're in a daily newspaper, when you write that story and then it publishes and it's at a house on Tuesday and it's in the trash on Wednesday and that's that, right? Now it is. I can go find a story that was written three years ago 
with Google search, if I remember enough what the words were. That that stuff is powerful and good. Well, I, as far as disposability, I know what you're saying in terms of it has a, a permanence on the internet, but also because there's such an overwhelming amount of information and news, <laughs> it almost feels more disposable because there's just infinite information. Yeah, that's a fair point too. Uh, it used to be that, and again, even in the course of my short, relatively short career, you could do a story and it would get it would capture the public's imagination and attention for weeks or months at a time. That's gone. Now you can bet on maybe, I mean, my God, we just did a story, a series of stories on nitrate in Nebraska. This yeah. is the, uh, a massive environmental issue that affects much of the state. And my Omaha self was unaware of it for a long time. Um, we did six, seven stories and we could see the diminishing returns for attention on each and every one. The first ones, lots of attention. Everyone read them. People spent a long time with them. And as we went on, those went down and down and down. They were never bad. Our numbers are always, I mean, <laughs> knock on wood, our numbers are always great. But they were less. All, they were just routinely less. And that's an important, we're talking about cancer in kids. We're talking about the, the longevity of the state that we live in. Uh, some of these towns having to take steps to survive. Very important stuff. And even then people were like, eh. I spent six weeks. I'm good. No more. Thank you. Well, why, yeah. Why do you think it is that they drop off? Is it is it that they're bored with it? Is it just keeping attention, or is it that they feel like the utility of continuing to learn might not go anywhere? Like for for me, <laughs> I know a problem I run into is I don't always believe that the the good reporting will result in responsible rulemaking, or that the people in charge of certain agencies will take the problem seriously. And so, at a certain point, it's just depressing to know how far you are into this hole. <laughs> um, I mean, it's another interesting thing I hear all the time when you do a story on nitrate, for example, or any of these big problems. Big problems. Um, well, what do you think we should do about this? I don't know, man. I'm a journalist. I just go ask questions and see what other people are doing. And then we trust those lawmakers and people who run our agencies and so on and so forth to actually fix the damn thing. Um, and thank God for that because I could never do it. But I don't know. So who are we writing to? Are we writing to the people in those positions? Trying? To, I don't think so. I really don't think so. They've got enough going on. They've got better uh, sources of information. They've got better reads on what's going on. They've got better access to stuff than we do in many cases. So then we're writing to regular Joes. We're writing to people who are maybe on a private well and facing those issues. And maybe they didn't know that they had to deal with the things. Or maybe they didn't know how bad it was. Or maybe they didn't know who the regulators are. You know, why do we do it? What makes people jump off? We do it because it's important. And we do it because... Getting that out there is the first step, regardless of what the second one is. The first one is someone's got to say it, right? It's like the emperor had no clothes sort of thing. First, someone has to point out that the emperor has no clothes, and then we'll just see what happens from there. That's not my job. <laughs> there's, there's a hope that there will be a tangible impact from the journalism, right? It's not just truth in a vacuum. I don't know. Uh, changes story to story. Uh, nitrate, for example, just to go back to this story that everyone's sick of and I shouldn't do. That's not that's bad PR. Um <laughs> That's a big, hairy problem that I do not think is immediately solvable. So do I expect that someone will solve it? No. I think they might take steps. I think they might do something. I think perhaps that could happen. I think it could be as simple as we'll keep having a conversation. And that would be impact. I think impact can be defined all sorts of ways. And yeah, I guess it, it, in, you know, with that disclaimer, 
we do hope for something. We hope at least the conversation lives on. We hope one person thinks to buy a filter that otherwise wouldn't. We hope one life is saved. Sure. Yes. All that sort of stuff. But we're not. Another example is we did a story about a uh, Nebraska has a really, really low pay for its its um, lawmakers in the state house, among the lowest in the country. And we looked at the impact that that has. Are we necessarily advocating that it should be higher? No. But it's, I mean, really, honestly, no. I don't know if it should be higher, but I do know we should think about the impact this has, and it raises interesting questions. Uh, you know, the story said Sarah Gensler was the reporter on that. It leads to older, wealthier, retired people because they don't have to make money. Uh, so they can take this this relatively low pay and do the job. That's a decision that we've made as a society, as Nebraskans. Is it right or wrong thing? I don't know. Not my job. But we can point out that it is a decision we made, and it does have some impact. And then people can do with it what they may. So impact was one of the things that you mentioned drew you to journalism in the first place when you were in high school. So what was it that got you to join the paper, the high school oh, paper? God. You know, being in high school is a thing. Uh had a friend who was in it who liked it. There was a charismatic teacher. It seemed fun. I basically. mean, yeah, well, there's no. I wish I had a better answer, a high minded <laughs> answer, but I don't. So it wasn't like you were like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna address the issues of the school. Can I impact the? Principal. I don't even know what the issues of the school. I still, <laughs> what were they? I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, but I mean, God, we did we did cool stuff that I am still proud of to this day, honestly. But. We had no clue. We were kids. We were kids doing kid stuff, uh, writing about – what's what's funny about that chapter of my history is we were not doing – think about what a typical high school uh, – school uniforms, good, bad. We were not doing that. We went down to the yeah, the penitentiary and talked to people on death row who had killed a former high school student. That's the opposite way. How does that happen when you're in high school? That's a, I don't that's know, ambitious. man. I don't know. <laughs> and I'm not saying – I'm probably blushing. I'm not proud of that. That was not high-minded journalism in any way. It was just something we thought was cool, and so we did it. Uh, we thought it was an interesting story, and it was, but maybe we should have done the uniform thing. I don't know. I'm just telling you how it was. You said there were things you're proud of that you were doing then. What, what are some of those? Yeah. Uh, one of the really formative things in my – you know, honestly, that got me where I am today is when I was in high school at Central High School, we there was a football player who was arrested at school for assaulting his girlfriend. Or police showed up, they arrested him, they drew Carter mouth. Um, then he was allowed to play football on Friday. And, you know, I knew something was up because students were talking about it. He was at a prep rally and they booed him. Uh, during the game, people were yelling about it, like, Clearly, something was going on here, and we did journalism stuff, and we found out it's actually against the district rules for a football player, for any athlete, to play after they've been charged with a crime and certainly arrested on school grounds, and he was allowed to anyway. That's journalism, right? That is the thing. Someone in power did not do what they were supposed to do. Great. Got them. Let's do that story. And as you can probably imagine, that did not go over particularly well. What happened? <laughs> the principal get mad? Sure. District got mad. Um, yeah, it was a whole thing. But it got published in the paper or did it get yes, stopped? Oh, to, okay. the, to the principal's credit. I will speak a lot of smack on that guy forever. <laughs> but to his credit, he did not kill it. And that, that was brave of him. And, you know, it's appreciated. 
Thanks, Dr. Thompson. <laughs> when I was in high school, I was on the paper, and I just, I for some reason, they gave me the entire editorial page. Oh, which God. <laughs> maybe not best practice to give one person the entire editorial page, but I also didn't really have to learn the discipline of journalism outside of, okay. I'm going to do basically my rant. <laughs> um, and so I'd pick these things that I got mad about. Like one was they outlawed some shirt that had the word gay on it or something. Wow. So I was like, well, I'm going to make this my mission. I'd, you know, storm into the class and I'd type up my angry, you know, rant and start to edit it. And all it just really resulted in was everything we get very heavily censored and then it's try to stop me. Isn't from that wild? It. I mean, this this is something that I don't have a solution for at all, but it, but I think I need to come up with one. Um, if not for high school journalism, I would not be where I am. I would never have gotten the bug. OK, I understand that. So where do future me's come from? If I wasn't doing this, God knows what I'd be doing. Right. It probably wouldn't be good. Um, how do we ensure it is getting worse. Westside had this happen. Time is a mess for me. I don't know how long, two years ago, three, 10 years ago, whatever. Westside had a whole showdown over a, a prior review thing where the principal won review and they lost. Now they do prior review in Westside so that everything has to make the school district look beautiful. That's bad for society. Right. That's good for Westside. And you can argue whatever there's a case to be made, but that's not good for society. That is very short term. I'm sorry that there won't be a story about a football player. If a football player is allowed to play a game at Westside, no one will ever hear about it, period, because no one is there to watch. Um, and I think that's a problem that probably the Nebraska Journalism Trust, the organization that runs Flatwater Free Press, should deal with at some time, but I don't know exactly how. I'm talking with Matt Wynn, executive director of the Flatwater Free Press, about the state of journalism today and the benefits of an independent press. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Stay tuned for the rest of the conversation after this break. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. You can check out the backlog of Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe on your favorite app, and while you're there, we'd love it if you'd leave us a review. Today I'm talking with Flatwater Free Press Executive Director Matt Wynn about the current state of journalism, the need for an independent press, and his view of the field's future. Here is the rest of our conversation. I don't know that necessarily the information doesn't happen, doesn't get out now, but it probably happens on social media. In a way that it's not as organized. It's not doesn't have the discipline of journalism behind it. Yeah, and I think that's uh, to to pretend that those are equal is part of the reason we're in the situation we are right now. Uh, you can have some schmuck say something on social media, and you do not know how they know that. You do not know if it's true. You do not know anything, right? How many times has something false gone viral? Um, Even in the Nebraska State Legislature. Yes. Yes. Exactly just because this is where we are as a society. I, I, you know, and that is something people who are in favor of prior restraint, for example, at Westside, they argue, well, you've got social media. There's nothing to stop these kids from starting their own newspaper. Get out of town. There's no way they're going to do that. They're 16. Leave them alone. Um, they're also not learning. Uh, we were able, even when we were doing ridiculous stuff in high school, we were doing it under the tutelage of a freaking professional who could guide us and say, guys, I'm not going to let you do this stupid thing. You have to at least jump through these hoops and do the basics. Now that is left to the colleges. This is not good for my industry. This is something that's got to give. We've got to find a way to get let people get the bug, let people get a little bit of training, a little bit of a clue when they're young enough for it to have an impact. 
So when you got to college, how did you home in on your skills? Oh my God. <laughs> there is nothing more embarrassing than talking about past yourself, right? <laughs> my cocky 18 year old self walked in University of Missouri. Before school started, I walked into a place called Investigative Reporters and Editors, which is a, I will sing their praises till the day I die. They're fantastic. But I walked in before school started. Cocky as could be, you guys need to give me a job. And they said, no, no, we don't. But they did let me volunteer there. And that was really, I mean, I still think about how lucky I was that they let me do that. My job was to read. We're talking about kind of the last halcyon days of, um, newspaper journalism at that mm-hmm. point. And my terrible volunteer job was to read every investigative thing. Literally what happens is a reporter in Indianapolis or New York or Miami or wherever would do a story that they thought was nice. They would put that newspaper in an envelope and they would mail it to us. And me, I would get that, open it up, read the story and file it away, right? Write a, do- a description of what the story was about, that sort of thing. But I have an encyclopedic knowledge of investigative journalism whatever, circa 2001 to 2005 for that reason. And that was so foundational. You get to, not only did I see the work, but I saw kind of the reporters. I met the reporters. I saw the questionnaires they did afterwards about how they did the story. Um, I couldn't have asked for a better, That's that was my school. IRE was my school. Everything else, I was just doing typical college kid crap. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you, were you aware that you were in the, the last days of newspapers as you knew them at that point? No, of course not. I, um, my first job was in, yeah, I mean, I was a moderately aware. My first job when I graduated, I was an editor. Well, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I knew it didn't make sense. <laughs> I was at a mid-sized newspaper, a uh, town of 200,000 people, Springfield, Missouri. I had a staff of seven, which is outrageous. Um, and I was, you know, that was ridiculous. That should not have been the case. That was a sign that things were not good. At the time, I told myself, well, I'm just awesome. Yeah. I think anyone would tell themselves yeah, that. But I was not awesome. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that wouldn't have happened 10, 15, even five years earlier. But, I no, to your question, I had no clue. I took that job, thought I was awesome, went to uh, the Arizona Republic in, in Phoenix, was there for a couple of years, way too soon. At this point, I'm 25. And I'm working for a top 10 newspaper in the country as an invest. I'm doing investigations. We're holding people accountable. That should not happen. <laughs> Are you being a little too hard on yourself, though? Because you must have been good. I think I was okay. I think I'm pretty good at what I do. Yeah. Um, but you know, th- those are places where you go to end a career in my, when I was coming up, that was something I envisioned as I will retire as a reporter at a place like the Arizona Republic. That shouldn't be the way it, I mean, even now this is happening when, when Flatwater is looking to hire reporters, we are directly competing with places like the Washington Post and, and, and major newspapers because that's the hiring situation this industry finds itself in. It is so quick. If you're good, uh, first of all, you're done with this industry by the time you're 50. They can't afford you anymore. You know, you're going to go into PR or something soulless like that. Uh, but the flip side is the hiring game for the kids is so much faster. They are up at these major metros from day one. And we have to make a pitch to them that's that makes them want to come to Omaha <laughs> versus go to one of these major cities, which, you know, is what they want to do and do important, hard local work versus stuff involving national politicians that people think as pseudo-celebrities. What is the pitch for Omaha? Why come to Omaha? Because you're going to do work that matters because no one else is going to let you do the work that we're letting you do. We are doing national 
quality, some of the best local journalism that can be done. We are doing stuff that truly holds power to account in ways that is vanishingly present in today's media ecosystem. You have the time to do stuff. I think a lot of these places, a lot of these kids that I see go to Washington Post, for example, they're going to turn out 10 stories a week. Cool, cool life. And it is cool. For some people, that's exactly what they want to do. Never what I want to do. But this is for people who don't want that. For people who want to chew on one story for a month and make it as good as they can. Uh, Go file a records request. And then when the state says that'll be $45,000, sue them because they can't do that. And fight for things. This is about principle. This is about something bigger. So were you missing that sense when you were at, say, USA Today? Was there something that, like a, an itch that was not getting scratched that this is, a, this is allowing you to do? Um, USA Today was a really great team, really good time. We did some really important work. I loved the work there. What I what was not, I've just never been made, you know, I did stories about President Trump that were there just for clicks. For I mean, they were fun to work on and they taught me some new cool stuff, but they were not particularly revelatory they were not particularly insightful uh they were just done because we could really when we're doing stuff here when you're doing stuff locally you know it happened before we started but the mead the all-ten disaster here in here in nebraska um no one covered that it's kind of a cliche for us at this point but that was initially broken not by the world herald not by nebraska public media it was broken by the guardian in freaking london that's ridiculous. There is no analog in a place at US, like USA Today. If there's something nationally relevant, well, geez, there's a thousand reporters on the case. The chances that can hide from anyone's view is nil. Um, and that is just not the case locally. That's It's just the kind of work I like. It's what I enjoy. When you're doing stuff nationally, you reach out to the Department of Energy, for example, for comment, and you get some peon responding via email saying, you can't use my name for attribution, but, and then a totally vanilla quote that says nothing and is not responsive. It's just, it's just, there's nothing there. It's soulless. Here, when you're doing local stuff, it is just real and impactful and meaningful and people care. And I don't know if it's so much, uh, I don't know if it's unique to Nebraska too. Um, I felt that same thing when I was working in Arizona and Missouri, but here in Nebraska, maybe because it's home, maybe because Nebraskans are just a better people but everyone cares the people who are doing jobs and agencies and stuff they do care they're trying to get it right for the most part and that's fun that's rewarding in a way that no other job really has been yeah it's weird when i think about our local news because you know growing up for me certainly the world herald felt like this big institution it felt like a permanent type institution it felt reliable uh and then to now see what it is as kind of the shadow of what it used to be and that even warren buffett is no longer involved you know i I remember thinking being worried about it at that point Hmm. but then also you know there's something concerning about needing the local billionaire to keep the newspaper (laughs) afloat Right. So, I mean, the, the the implication being that it's not necessarily making enough money on its own. Right. Is uh, that the idea? I would push back a little bit on that. I think I think, first of all, there the reporters at the World Herald continue to be some of the best report. We are freaking blessed as a city that that paper, that institution is rolling. Um, the problem with all of these, especially newspapers, but TV, too, is corporate ownership. They are there to get as much money as possible. And one way to get money is to cut the staff and keep the profits the same. That's going to make you more money. So that's what's going to happen. I think they've sold us 
a bad bag of dope as far as what's wrong with the industry. They claim that, oh, we're just barely scraping by. No, man. Newspapers, even today, even now, are making more profit margins than your grocery store, than Baker's, than Hy-Vee. And yet, Hy-Vee is going to, you know, they have advertising firepower. They seem like a big, giant corporate, probably more like how you envision the world. This is a weird comparison to make. But that big kind of never-ending institution, you'd probably put Hy-Vee more in that bucket than a newspaper. But we're being lied to by these corporate corporations that own our news sources. It's really a shame. Well, why are they able to take over so many of our local news sources? Um, They can pay for it? Well, yeah. I mean, there's, I think in each case, it's a, there's no one answer. It's a, it's in each place, there's a different answer. In the World Herald's case, uh, Warren Buffett realized that he's the best investor of our time. He tries to make money based on companies doing well and outperforming. It's a diminishing thing. Print journalism, to actually save that, uh, I think print's got to go. There's not the demand for it. However, they make most of their money based on print. They sell print ads and those sorts of things. And so Buffett looked at that and said, this is too much trouble. I'm just going to get out. Who's who's trying to buy a newspaper? These guys. Cool. Come here. That's why it happened in Omaha. Why did it happen in Columbia, Missouri, where I lived for a couple of years? Um, you know, I guess probably the same thing. Family looked and said, this is kind of hard. We're in this to make money. It's harder to make money. We used to make 25% profits. Now we're making 10. This is enough money. Let's just take it and go. It's just a different calculation everywhere. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Matt Wynn, executive director of the Flatwater Free Press. What do you make of the state of contemporary journalism? How would you fix it? Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play in one of our upcoming shows. Was it hard for you to accept print as something that needs to be let go? I never cared about the the distribution method could not matter less. Whether it comes to you in a bundle on your front porch or it comes on the TV or it comes online or it comes on your phone or on a tablet, who cares? The news is the thing. The, the information, the ideas... That's what you're there for. Journalism, we try to do this at Flatwater. Uh, we say it. I don't know that we're walking that walk yet, but we. the idea is that we are platform independent, platform agnostic. We don't care if it's the written word, if it's um, spoken word, if it's recorded, if it's video, if it's a graphic, if it's a motion graphic, whatever. It's the ideas and the news that matter, and we want to do all of them. Practically, the written word continues to be the most amorphous. The written word is the one that we can... First of all, we're good at it. Part of that is credit to Matthew Hansen, my editor, who is a gifted writer. Um, but it's also the most, you can put that on the internet and people can look at it on their phone and they can look at it on their tablets, they can look it on their computer. Uh, you can, it can be read on the radio, which happens. It can turn into uh, print newspapers across the state, which is ex- exactly how things roll. You know, it's just the most, it can be everywhere. And so that's right now the brunt of what we do. Do you think, though, that people read differently? Because I, I think there's some degree yeah. of research that says you skim more, right, when you're reading on on a screen as opposed to on paper. Does that bother you? Does that matter? Man, I'm going to do the thing that I hate when people do. That's a really good question. Yeah. I think, I mean, I wonder how much that is underlying some of these bigger questions that you were asking. You called them simpler, but the, the bigger questions. I'm staying. Uh, I'm, st- I'm going to say <laughs> dumb questions and we should be able to answer. Sometimes there's truth in a dumb yeah, question. Sure. Yeah, All right. Okay. Anyway. Weird hill, but okay. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, that is that is an interesting question. I don't know if that's part of it. And I think 
one of the things that we are still, there's a lot of flat water that we have delivered on, and I'm really proud of what we've done. But there's so much, <laughs> this next year, I cannot talk about it today, but there's so much coming on the horizon for us, and it's freaking exciting. But I think it's going to allow us to live up to some of the promise that we had. At the, one of the ideas was this idea that we know that people, you know, maybe we didn't think about it that hard. Do people engage with the written word on a screen versus print differently? But we do realize that people engage with the information differently. And so how do we how do we get them to engage more? And one of the ideas that we had that we believe in that we've done a couple times is um, we call it journalism on stage. These events where you do the same thing that you do in a story. You find the experts. You make sure they're balanced. You make sure they're interesting and informed. You get them on a stage. And you have a conversation with them. Hey, we're talking about, you know, we did one in Lincoln on uh, prison issues in November. And we had, um, well, a state senator did not show up, but we had someone who previously worked for in the correction system. We had someone who had previously been incarcerated. We had someone who worked for um, outgoing people. And we had the ombudsman over the entire correction system. They were interviewed by our reporter who has spent a year diving into prisons issues. And it was a really freaking informative hour and a half of these people, uh, 300 folks showed up and then we did Q and a at the end and they knew what was good. Like they had learned, they had ingested so much. It's just a different way to interact with the same basic building blocks of news. It doesn't have to be written or on TV or something. It can be a thing you attend. How cool is that? I think that's really cool. I, I mean, obviously with this show, I think conversation is a great way to get engaged. Yeah. Um, so like, it is journalism. You got it. Is it? Okay. <laughs> I, I've never been sure. <laughs> um, well, so as far as some of that goes, it sounds like you're kind of expanding the beyond text in multiple ways this year. Is that kind of the implication? Well, I don't know about beyond text. We're expanding in many ways. Well, like simultaneously, obviously text is still going to be a part of it, right? But uh, if if a conversation or a Q&A or a panel is another way people in, can engage, I do wonder if community can be built through these sorts of things. And this show has kind of been huh. a, an incubation as well of like, will people get involved if you just really dive deeply? Because on the one hand, it seems like our attention spans are moving shorter and shorter where I, my guess is more young people would rather engage with TikToks than an hour-long <laughs> deep dive into a conversation. But there's something nourishing, I think, about it. Yeah, and I think we – I'm going to pick the point you didn't mean to make and really harp at it. I think we we are continuing the long story tradition of saying kids these days. Kids these days get better. I didn't used to want to read long for – I mean, my God, who wanted to do that? I would have eaten up the TikToks if I was 18 too. But that's okay. That's the way it's always been. Uh we shouldn't sweat that so much. They'll they'll get to it. Eventually, you want to be a member of society and you do society type things. And part of that is knowing what's going on. And that's not going to be on TikTok. Um, but at the same time, though, where we started this conversation was these concerning trends with attention and what people will look at or won't look at. Yeah. Did the kids 30 years ago really grow up to have that many better habits? I don't know. Look, I mean, here we are. I don't know. Uh, no, clearly not. But did the one 60 years ago do any better? <laughs> I think about uh, Neil Postman writes in Amusing Ourselves to Death about that people would go watch uh, the Lincoln-Douglas debates. And they, they would, it was fun for them to go watch a seven-hour debate. And that was something that apparently it – it sounds fake to me. But he, he claims that his, at that point in history, people were really well-read. They were really engaged on the issues. And that was something that you know felt like, all right, yeah, it's a Saturday. I guess let's go watch this <laughs> seven-hour debate. Uh, I don't well, think we're there anymore. Yeah, probably not. Well, even our forums are only an hour, hour and a half. And seven hours seems like a lot of, a lot of chat. I think like an hour 
of sustained, you know, I think it's like, like movies are usually an hour, two hours. There's a point at which you just can't really retain anything new. I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I do not watch. One thing I've noticed myself, I don't watch movies anymore. I used to love movies. I just can't. I can't. I can't do it. I get bored. I get restless. I'll pick up my phone halfway through or get on my computer and start doing some work. And now I have no idea. what Who's this guy? Where did he come from? I can't do it. I'm just not built for it anymore. Yeah, I think. I think we have to work. I mean, I'm trying to have my Adults cake and these eat it days. Too. That's what we're <laughs> We should worry about it on some level, but I also don't think it's a fundamental, terrifying shift that we need. If only the kids these days would read the newspaper. Well, no, that's ridiculous. They would be. That wouldn't matter. <laughs> that would not matter. That would not change anything. That is not the panacea that we want to pretend it is. So. As far as journalism of the future, then, how different does it look from journalism today, say 15 years down the line? I think this is the most exciting thing about what we're doing here. I don't know what that looks like. I don't even know what it looks like in two years. What I do, what I can say beyond a shadow of doubt, it is more, it's different. It's going to keep changing. Uh, The core of journalism is never going to change. We're going to keep asking hard questions, getting records, finding out what people are trying to not tell us. That matters. That impacts people's lives. That's not going anywhere. That's going to be valuable, whether we do it in two thousand word stories or videos or TikToks. I don't or whatever the hell comes after that. Um, journalism as a craft is wildly, completely separate from the distribution channels. The reason that we organized as we did, and I realize I just bored you to tears by saying that, but we have the Flatwater Free Press, which is a publication that does stuff, and we have the Nebraska Journalism Trust, which is. I don't know, an organization that really does nothing except publish Flatwater Free Press, at least at this point in time. Um, we, the reason that we did that was deliberate because we don't know, will Flatwater Free Press still in this incarnation matter in 15 years? I don't know. I think we can kind of be flexible and deal with things, but I don't really know. And so Nebraska Journalism Trust is there to make sure that we can serve whatever the Flatwater audience needs, as well as if there's a need in the local community, if there's a population that's not being served, if there are other news needs that rear their heads, um, that's what the Journalism Trust is there to take on. And that is flexible enough to deal with whatever 15 years from now brings us. So you don't, you don't have any predictions for like, uh, you know, will, will people still be reading articles in 10 years? I don't, I don't fear the written word going away at all. I, I think if people think a thing is interesting, they will ingest information on it however they, however it's available. Sounds like you might welcome the death of the written word. Then you don't have to write anymore. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Videos only, flatwaterfreepress.org. Sure. That's not happening. <laughs> well, I know you, you, you said that there's a lot that you can't specifically mention about what the, the next iteration of Flatwater is. But is there any tease you can give me maybe about like stories that you're excited about that people oh could God. look for? We have, we have some incredible reporters at Flatwater, we have some. We've been really lucky with our hiring, and we've gotten some fabulous reporters. We've got some really good freelancers. Um, yeah, we are. Let's see. I'm trying to think how I can dance around some of this stuff. Uh, maybe I can't. <laughs> we've got good investigations coming. I can. I can tell you that features more interesting people. Uh, that's something that I think we're really trying to get our, I mean, much like you do here, right? Uh, until this week when you flopped, but oh. generally you bring on interesting people. That's something that we want to keep doing. People are what makes a place and that's, that's what you bring to the table. That's what you do well. Um, and I think just more of that helps. So what's, what's fun is we get to do it statewide. 
So we get to be typically in, in Nebraska, we've gotten this thing where I'm in Omaha, others are in Lincoln, and then there's the whole rest of the state. And that's nonsense and new. And we can kind of cut through that in a way. We had one a couple weeks ago where a uh, skate park up in um, Walt Hill. Really cool story, really impactful story. And we could do interviews with the people involved with that. We could put that story out all sorts of ways. I think more of that is on the way. There's actually a follow-up on that story that I'm pretty excited about. There's someone who did something interesting in Syracuse, Nebraska, that we're going to do uh, a feature on. Um, more business coverage, I can tell you that. Without giving away the store, I can tell in your eyes when you're excited about some of these things that I uh, I don't know entirely what they mean. But <laughs> all right, since we are running out of time here, oh let me just have let me just have you direct my listeners. Where can they go to either contribute to your whole mission, your hmm. whole operation, or just to learn more or just to read some articles? Yeah, flatwaterfreepress.org is the website. That is where you subscribe to our newsletter, which is our main distribution channel. It comes once a week. It is the most enjoyable low friction entry point to a news source you will ever have. It comes Friday afternoon. It's a breeze and a joy to read. It includes whatever we've been up to that week, uh, which can include organizational stuff, as well as a roundup of news from around the state. We really try to lift up what our friends are doing at the World Herald, what, what you guys are doing, what Nebraska Public Media is doing, or any other newspaper in the state, TV station, et cetera, uh, and give the three or four stories that we think were best done this week. That also includes, by the way, national stuff when they're about Nebraska or Nebraskans. Um, I'm really proud of that newsletter. Um, NebraskaJournalismTrust.org is our corporate website. There's a lot of you know, connections between the two, obviously, but that's where you can seek our policies, our ethics policy, our hiring stuff, all that more boring, organizational, important stuff. Yeah. Well... Let me just assure you, this was not a flop. You are an interesting, <laughs> engaging listen, listen and person to talk to in general. So, well, I, Likewise. Thank you. Thank you. I had a great time. So thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Riverside Chats is a production of KIOS 91.5 FM, Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowicz. Remember, you can find a backlog of all of these conversations wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe today, and while you're there, we'd love it if you'd leave us a review. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Tom Noblock.